Welcome to Season 1 of American Political History, Plymouth. The Plymouth Colony could not be more different from Jamestown. First of all, it was basically illegal. Plymouth would never be sent royal boats of resupply from the Crown. They would get one shot with what they brought on their backs. Their goals were much different than Jamestown, which was a sponsored corporate trade mission with whatever labor they could get. The Pilgrims had a higher purpose of starting a godly settlement, not to make the most profit. The Pilgrims wanted to take the Reformation all over the way to completion, to their envisioned end state of Christianity. England, in their view, had simply switched from Catholic to Protestant, allowing King Henry to ruthlessly plunder the Catholic Church of its land and gold and possessions in England. He was, after all, having money issues and wanting that famous divorce. King Henry then created a Church of England, and the king was at its head. It's almost as if the king took the Pope's seat of power at the head of a hierarchical Church of England. The pilgrims wanted to get back to the basics of Christianity. If the Bible didn't say it, then they didn't need it. This included an abolition of both the mandatory taxes paid to the king's clergy, and the king's control over the selection of that clergy. The pilgrims were seeking the ability to go to their own church, congregate with their own clergy, and practice their vision of Christianity. You have to remember that in this era, challenging the church was sedition to the crown. The church was not simply where people went to pray to God. It was far more important to the functions of government and the state's bureaucracy. Churches took role of the people attending and therefore they handled rudimentary census processes. Churches were the communication tool for the king's edicts down to the people, helping form the most basic communal beliefs that linked the commoner to their king. State nationalism was not the sort of thing it is today. There was no Team America, or Team Englishmen. Someone would think of themselves as being from Yorkshire, or Newport, or London, and I guess that qualified them as an Englishman, whatever that meant. The early leaders of the Pilgrims would publish, with illegal printing presses, pamphlets calling into question the Church of England. And it's hard for us to put ourselves in that time. So what, we think today? What's the big deal with questioning a church? We have to go back to that step just discussed. The king of England, divinely blessed and only accountable to God himself, who is placed on earth to rule this kingdom. He, the king, created a church, the church, for the people of England. If you want to question the king, then you're questioning God's authority and the very divine order of the universe. And the English monarchs thought, To just put you in a dungeon for a few months, torture will cleanse you of those seditious ideas. The kings of this era didn't have modern control systems to monitor and communicate with society. They didn't even have real control of their people without this brutality and fear. They kind of barely kept a lid on things, especially in England, which within a generation would be engulfed into civil war. In addition to these illegal pilgrim pamphleteers, many other disgruntled English had moved away from England to more liberal cities in the Spanish-controlled, Dutch-speaking Low Country. 
that is today the Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg. The Spanish rulers had no issue harboring English Protestant agitators, leaving them right across the channel and letting them spread their dissenting pamphlets back into England. This caused King Henry to make a proclamation that dissenters could not leave England. They were much more trouble outside of their reach than if they forced them to stay inside the kingdom where the monarch had the power to silence them. The pilgrims, some of them, decided they should move to the new world, start completely afresh, away from persecution, and build a society where they could practice their religious beliefs. Though they had tried, they they could not change England from the inside. And we have to remember what a leap of faith this was. Starting in the new world was not like moving to Australia from America, learning a new but similarly rooted culture. It's not even like moving to China, learning a totally different culture. What it would be like is deciding to take parts of your family and and move to Mars. Now, it would be possible that your family could visit you on Mars, hypothetically possible, but in all practicality, everyone knew this was a one-way trip of no return. Sisters, mothers, brothers, never to be seen from again, likely never to be heard from again, as there was no stable mail system to send letters to the New World. So the pilgrims decided to make the first step for that mission to the New World by paying to get themselves shipped to the Dutch-speaking Low Country. So they sold any and all valuables they had. Unfortunately, someone tipped off the authorities to this illegal voyage of dissenters, mid-loading process. As they were packing the ship, they saw a crown militia coming. The ship's captain, not wanting to get caught, after all, any punishment, for even modest crimes was horrific during these times, immediately set sail, leaving more than half the pilgrims on the shore. I want to give you a small sample of the norms of 1610. As the authorities arrested the group left behind, they released all of the wives, because they were supposed to obey their husbands, almost no matter what. They would have been in trouble in the eyes of the laws, and the men were in trouble in the eyes of the laws of trying to leave, but the women were only in trouble if they disobeyed, even though what their husbands asked them to do was illegal. So in other words, the only moral and legal requirement of a wife in 1610 was total obedience to one's husband. If your husband told you to do something, unless it was a capital offense against God, then the wife must obey and was not responsible for the decision of the crime itself or punished for that crime. But they would have been punished if they had disobeyed. Just a tidbit of the culture and the role of women in 1610. The escaping pilgrims ended up in Leiden, and it took some time, but those that had been arrested paid their fees and made their voyages across the English Channel and joined them there. Leiden was a leading Dutch college town. It had a bustling textile industry and one, and was one of the few cities in Europe that allowed freedom of religion within the privacy of your own home. The pilgrims decided on trying to make a life in Leiden, and for 11 years they did. But what could be taken from any parent's mouth of almost any generation? It was clear that their kids had started to embrace Dutch culture. This life in Leiden could not protect their children from the soft currents of Dutch society. And in the pilgrims' view, this diverted them away from godliness. It was clear to them now that if they stayed in Leiden, they would not create this dream of a basic, close-to-God lifestyle of biblical simplicity. 
their children would just be corrupted by Dutch society. So in 1619, the pilgrims once again started planning to go to the New World. They made a deal with a company of merchant adventurers of London, who offered passage and land grants in return for part-time indentured labor. Remember, all colonies in this time were financial missions, which took large initial investments to get going. The companies fronted that money, sent settlers to establish permanent settlement claims. Permanent settlement was so important because it was a fulfillment of their duty to the crown. Establishing that settlement in North America validated and justified why the crown had put trust in that company and given them a charter. So accomplishing the first settlement step ensured future royal patronage and profitable charters. This specific offer was tempting to the pilgrims because it included actual land grants after the deal. And the labor was not full-time indentureship, but part-time production for the company on labor days. The pilgrims, once on board the ship, and after selling all of their worldly possessions, found out that the deal was different than they first verbally agreed to. I mean, they could have backed out. They, They had a legal claim that it was misrepresented to them but they would lose even more selling back their supplies and trying to buy back their lives. And, maybe most importantly, they didn't have a better offer waiting. So now, they would be contractually obligated to spend four days working on company labor instead of two days a week. And, the merchant adventurer company had decided to sell more spots on board the voyage to people outside of the pilgrim's religious sect. The whole point for the pilgrims, had been to establish a religious back-to-basics community in isolation from worldly temptations. The pilgrims would refer to these people as the strangers, although disappointed at the time that they had the strangers amongst them. They truly had no idea in that moment how much of the survival of Plymouth would hinge on this unexpected group of strangers. The Mayflower and the smaller Speedwell would set sail on August 5th, 1620. Wait, wait. Almost immediately after setting sail, the speedwell would start leaking and have to be repaired. An ill omen for any voyage. The Mayflower, with the newly repaired speedwell, would eventually leave England on September 6th. Now, there is a world of difference between Atlantic sailing weather in August-September or September-October. The Mayflower would face rough weather through all of October, and the best way I can describe this in modern terms would be if you decided to live for a month cramped into your washing machine while it was slowly spinning on a spin cycle with you inside. A month that they would not have been on that boat if not for the misfortune of the speedwell leaking. The storms that they encountered because of that leak also pushed the Mayflower off course. History so often changes because of happenstance. On November 9th, 1620, they spotted the coast of what would become Cape Cod. The boat tried to sail south to the mouth of the Hudson River. Yep, that same Hudson River that is now New York City. That was the area that the Pilgrims and the company had patented to settle. The ship almost ran aground in the shoals on the south side of Cape Cod, which turned out to be some of the most dangerous waters of sailing on the North Atlantic coastline. With supplies running out, winter closing in, and with a ship's captain that was not in the mood to get marooned in the New World, 
the Pilgrims decided that the patent would have to be an issue for another day. They had more life or death issues in front of them, like food and shelter and New England winter weather already upon them. And the patent would never really become an issue because a few years down the road, the Crown would be so desperate for any successful permanent colonies in North America that they never really cared that the Pilgrims had settled Cape Cod instead of the Hudson River. As the Pilgrims scouted the shorelines around Plymouth Bay, looking for a suitable settlement site, there was one substantial moment of American history that happened on the Mayflower. About half the settlers were strangers and half pilgrims. They could see now, with wild lands around them, that they would need each other. Stephen Hopkins had been a clerk in Jamestown between 1610 and 1614, arriving during the worst of the starving times and all of those associated mutinies. He must have understood what the level of effort to provide food was going to be, the difficulties of native relations soured, and the consequences of any mutinies on their chances for survival. If this settlement's leadership was distrusted and dysfunctional, that would quickly lead them all to death. Because Plymouth was not going to get royal shipments that saved Jamestown, Plymouth would get one shot. This was it. Although there is no written records of this meeting, Stephen Hopkins' preeminent role in the colony even as an outsider, and as the only member of the community in Plymouth with personal experience in North America, he must have had some influence on the Mayflower Compact. A compact that seems simple today, but was one of the foundational inspirations for the United States Constitution. The Mayflower Compact had democratic principles. Every adult male was a signatory, no matter their class or social status. It was a compact between the people and their government, done in a time when the paradigm was absolutist divine monarchies. And they agreed to have a secular legal code for the interests of the whole politic. I know, I know, a democratic legal structure based in secular law code seems so ordinary. For us today. But in 1620, Europeans had been killing each other over individual religious beliefs for more than a century. To say that we're going to have a mutually agreed civil legal code that we are all bound to, no state religion, and these laws will be crafted in the interest of the whole body with agreement from the people, this was nothing short of revolutionary. But the Mayflower Compact was not born out of a fiery demand for democracy, representation, or other political ideologies. What's the saying again? Necessity is the mother of invention. The Mayflower Compact was created out of desperation to create unity between two groups that had no shared religious or common cultural goals except survival. The colony was only a hundred people. Which might seem like a lot if you're going camping, but a colony needs to quickly build buildings, gather food, hunt, fish, wash clothes, make clothes, preserve harvest, clear brush, etc, 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 etc. And oh yeah, don't forget, they had to somehow spend four days a week producing vast amounts of trade goods for a company that paid for their voyage. But with winter setting in, sleet blowing sideways on the deck, no shelters built, no food supply established, I don't think anyone that day spent a moment to admire the paradigm they had just shattered. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. 
If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.